Mindfulness Mode, 372. There is meaning. There is purpose. I matter and I count. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm in such a great mood today, and I'm so excited to have you with us here on Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, host and creator of the show. Great to have you with us, and if you're new, welcome. If you're a returning guest, thanks for subscribing, and I always appreciate everyone who subscribes because it helps the show so much, and also sharing the show out there makes a big difference as well, so thanks for that. Hundreds of guests have recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast, and I've pulled together the 12 most recommended books into a short 14-page ebook that's free for you. It's called 12 Must-Read Mindfulness Books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life, just like they have for my featured guests. Download this great free resource at mindfulnessmode.com top 12 books. And now get ready for a terrific interview. I loved his book and it really made a big impact on me. Sit back and relax and just enjoy today's show. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm here with Mel Schwartz. And Mel is the author of a book that I loved from the first page, from the first paragraph. The book is called The Possibility Principle. The subtitle is How Quantum Physics Can Improve the Way You Think, Live, and Love. So, Mel, are you in mindfulness mode today? I would certainly hope so, Bruce. You know, mindfulness, or any word... I think, always requires shared meaning. I've learned that a word or an expression means one thing to you, something different to me, and a different difference to a third person. So I'm, sh- I'm sure that mindfulness conjures somewhat different images for each of us. Yeah, mindfulness does conjure different images, I think, for almost everybody. I just want to take a second to share with Mindful Tribe a little bit about you, Mel. Mel Schwartz is a psychotherapist, marriage counselor, and corporate leadership consultant. He's the author of The Art of Intimacy, The Pleasure of Passion, and like I said, his newest book, The Possibility Principle, How Quantum Physics Can Improve the Way You Think, Live, and Love, is a book I appreciate a lot. Mel practices in Westport, Connecticut, and Manhattan, and works with individuals across the world. Mel is a member of the Society for Consciousness Studies and has been a keynote speaker at Yale University. His TEDx talk, Overcoming Anxiety, is receiving over 1,500 views every day. So, Mel, what does mindfulness mean to you? For me... Mindfulness, as, as I describe at great length in, in my book, requires my ability to see my thought. If I can see my thought, I don't need to become my thought. In my work as a psychotherapist, marriage counselor, communications consultant, I find that often people aren't aware of their thought. And worse still, they accept their thought as being the truth of what their thought is telling them. And then over a lifetime, we become imprisoned. We have certain core beliefs about ourselves, and out of those beliefs come millions of thoughts. Out of those beliefs come millions of thoughts. Thoughts. We're not aware that we're having those thoughts, and we become those thoughts. So that's the imprisonment. So the work I've developed is to teach people to see the thought. It's like a learned muscle memory. 
when we can see the thought, we're actually thinking. I derive a difference between having thoughts, noticing I'm having thoughts, and thinking. When I'm thinking, there's a me that is superior to all of the millions of thoughts I've had over a lifetime. So mindfulness for me, Bruce, is the ability to think. In the nanosecond between our thoughts, I believe we exist in the state of pure possibility, pure potential. So why is it hard to change? Why do people find it hard to change? Because we keep summoning the same old thoughts. Thinking intervenes. New thinking allows us to capture new thoughts. Well, what does that have to do with quantum physics? Tell my audience. Okay. So firstly, I am not a scientist. I was an average student at best in science. Many years ago, I'm going through a personal crisis of my own, uh, which I can share. Um, I had recently divorced. My two young children ultimately came to live with me full time. But on a given weekend, they were with their mom. And I went out for a bike ride on what I thought was going to be a beautiful morning. And I had an anxiety attack. It was my fear of the future and not knowing what it would bring. I turned the bike around and headed back home. And I absentmindedly pulled a book off the shelf. It was called The Turning Point by a quantum physicist named Fridtjof Capra. I noticed that within reading a few pages, I felt calm. My anxiety had retreated. And in fact, I felt inspired and connected to everything, myself and everyone, the universe. And nothing had changed outside of me. So I read of this new paradigm, this new worldview. Putting it simply, the principles of quantum physics are, one, uncertainty. As a culture, we are trained to resist and avoid uncertainty. When we do that, it creates anxiety and fear. Because we can't know the future, but we feel we need to know it. This leads to what I call an epidemic of anxiety. I recently gave a TEDx talk called Overcoming Anxiety. It comes from shifting our, our position on this. If we embrace uncertainty, which is the rule of reality, then we get to ride the waves of change. Secondly, uncertainty equals possibility. If things aren't certain, why does that need to be a negative? We look at the word uncertain as a pejorative. Well, things are uncertain. Well, sometimes that's a good thing. A lot of times. I need to well, yes, I need to welcome in uncertainty, which opens possibility. So that's uncertainty of thought. It's uncertainty in a relationship. Oscar Wilde said, uncertainty is the essence of romance. And if you think about it, we can see the truth. So what do we do? We take a romantic relationship and we make it predictable and romance fades. Now, we need to know what time the train leaves in the morning or when to pick up the kids from school, of course. But we become choked by our need for certainty. So I looked at the quantum principle of uncertainty and thought, I'm going to bring that into my life. That's what brought me to this place today. I had been in a very unsatisfying business in midlife and chose to embrace the uncertainty of a new career. So uncertainty, quantum principle, potentiality, everything exists in a state of pure absolute potential, including our thoughts. Lastly, the other principle of quantum physics is inseparability. We've been trained to think and operate from 17th century thinking, 
coming for, from Sir Isaac Newton and Rene Descartes. It was called a machine-like universe. And in that reality, we're taught that if we had enough data and information, we could predict the future. This was known as determinism. Well, we took it to an extreme. And many of us live our lives as though we were playing a chess match, sitting back, calculating, strategizing, being afraid of making a mistake, and not in the flow of life. Quantum physics has revealed that in certain conditions, reality is thoroughly inseparable. It's one undivided whole, just like Eastern mystics and religions have always suggested. So here was this hard science, quantum physics, affirming inseparability. So I thought, what if I bring that into my life? Inseparability immediately presents, presents empathy and compassion. Because if you and I are part of the same whole, I want to care for you and understand and connect with you. It brings back connectivity. So I believe that the epidemics of anxiety and depression and malaise that Western culture and other cultures experience are due to living from the wrong game plan, the theme of separation, the se which leads to intense individualism and competition and creates disharmony in our relationships with others and with ourselves. So those are the principles. Uncertainty, potentiality, what I call possibility, and inseparability. And when we adapt them and integrate them into our thinking, our communicating, our relationships, we shift from this stuck state of being into a process of becoming. Because reality looks like this unfolding, perpetual reality-making process. Only we left ourselves out of that because of living by this game plan of determinism. Mel, I want to go back to that day when you pulled the turning point off the shelf. I want to go back to your mind and what, what was happening inside your mind that day when you were having that anxiety attack. How did it feel? Well, Having the anxiety attack at that moment was around my fear of uncertainty. What would my future look like? I was now for the moment alone, not with my children, not part of an intact family. I felt a visceral fear. So in absent-mindedly, and I, I suppose it was absent-minded, but there was a conscious awareness mm -hmm. to pick that book. As I started to read it, it was almost as though I was experiencing an alchemy. There was a fundamental transformative shift I was noting where there was a sense of wonder beyond curiosity. There was a feeling of awe, which is science was telling us that reality was nothing like what I imagined it to be in a wonderful way. And so that insight, that defining moment, for me, allowed me to discard my temporary fear about the triviality of my not knowing my future. And I began to realize that I could participate in the creating of that future instead of wondering from a distance what it would look like. It was as though I was handed a pen and a sheet of paper and I was going to get to write the script of my life. So cool. And how long did it take you till you felt like you were in that new place? Forever and an instant. 
<laughs> Interesting answer. Uh, okay. I, I've trained my mind not to create compartments and think in an either or way. I felt that way in an instant, and it's 25 years later, and I am still working with it and progressing with it. So I felt the relief and the excitement instantly. You see, defining moments, Bruce, we all experience insights. And insights, a temporary aha. The problem is we don't commit to the insight and we let it go. I've always felt that when I have a powerful insight, I literally call time out to my life. And I think my life is different now. And, that, and that's what I call a defining moment where there's a willful intention. So what I did with those insights is I thought, well, I need to realign my belief system and my thinking to coalesce with what I'm learning about quantum physics, which I did. And it allowed me great progress in my life. Then the next step was as a psychotherapist, I needed to create a therapy approach and methodology, which was consistent with these quantum principles. I was no longer interested in diagnosis or objectivity because, in fact, from my new worldview, they don't exist. You see, if there is inseparability and everything's connected to everything else, then I'm not apart. So how could I possibly be objective? There is no objectivity. True. I think one of the reasons I loved your book so much is because you're not a quantum physicist. I think like it that's why it seemed to make it so easy to understand like hey this is not a complex concept this is not a big deal the book isn't a huge you know 4 inch thick book it's a very simple way that you've communicated your message off the, have you always been a person that was able to communicate with others in such a clear way I'm not certain when I think back to my younger self, if I were able to do that, I'm not aware of it. Um, so my, my instinct is that I probably always had the propensity to, but hadn't developed the skill. So the inclination was there. But, you know, until I was 40 years old, I was more or less a pretty regular guy. I was in business. Mm -hmm. Um I'll tell tell the viewers, I worked in the apparel industry in New York City, right. you, a, a field you couldn't think of as more afar from what I do now. So um, it, this literally was a large chapter two diversion in my life, a transformative process. And of course, making these steps along the way, I had to embrace uncertainty. If I hadn't, I would have succumbed to fear and never gotten to where I am. Of course. As I was writing this book, um, I have a relative who is a rather renowned scientist, but he's a classical scientist, not into quantum physics. And he would butt heads with me. What are you talking about? And I say, I'm not professing to be a scientist. I'm just looking at what the science is saying and then saying, wow. How can we ignore that? We've been reading from the wrong book, living life from the wrong game plan. So, again, the malaise that we see in our lives and in our culture, um, the heartbreaking conflict in relationships, 
uh, the depression again, the anxiety. At the core, I think that it fundamentally occurs because we're living as though we are those isolated cogs in Newton's machine-like universe with no meaning and purpose. But imagine in this new worldview where everything participates with everything. So my thought, my questions, my connection with you stir the pot of reality. There is meaning. There is purpose. I matter and I count. I want to go back to a day in the life of Mel when he was eight years old. Did anything happen? Is there something that pops into your mind about a day when possibly your infatuation with quantum physics was foreshadowed? Now, that is a question that no one has ever asked me, Bruce. I love being asked new questions because I don't have an immediate response, which brings up authenticity. You know, I always had a, a, a different way. I remember being 13 years old, having dinner at the Chinese restaurant with my parents, which would, was what we as a Jewish family would do on Sunday evenings. Right. And John Kennedy had just been assassinated. Mm. And I didn't follow politics or watch the news, but there was this intuition where I was questioning the stories we were being told about Oswald. Um I think that there was nothing about I, – I instinctively, I always question what reality is and what it might look like. I believed in what we might call transpersonal realities. Um, I was open to themes of reincarnation, um, cognitive abilities like ESP. Synchronicity has been a fascination for me. I experience it. I study it. I teach how to access synchronicity, which are – non-rational, extraordinary experiences that we can't account for by sheer coincidence. But I will say this. Um, I wrote an article called Why Can't I? Or Why I Can't? And it occurred to me that people seem to orient toward one or the other. I was always raised, my parents raised me with this belief of why can't you? In other words, if you have a thought or a feeling why can't you do it? Sure. Other people have this core belief of why I can't, and they give themselves the reasons why. So the quantum aspect of why can't I is that all things are possible. I wrote in the book, Bruce, in the nanosecond between our thoughts, we exist in a state of pure possibility. But if we keep having the same thoughts, we never summon that possibility. So therefore, I needed to find a way to stretch my relative experience of time so that I could see that next thought. I could be in that nanosecond between the thoughts and I could introduce new thinking. And for me, that is where breakthroughs occur. Well, I think that you've helped a lot of people with breakthroughs from this book. Mel, I always ask a question about bullying because I've worked in that field for a long time and it does relate very closely to mindfulness. Do you have a story about bullying? Maybe when you were a kid, maybe as an adult in business or as an author. Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Mm-hmm. Well, I always advocate, and this has come up um, in a number of circumstances around bullying in my work as a therapist, um, I'll take an individual in, in a marriage where one, one person felt bullied by the other. And, and in this case, uh, atypically, perhaps it was the man who felt bullied. 
Now, why was he allowing and tolerating the bullying? Uh, because his self-worth, self-esteem was questionable. So when other than someone physically bullying you and them being twice your size and in the moment not knowing what to do about it, bullying is often emotional and verbal. Um, and when it is such, the question is, if I am tolerating it, why? Um, it reflects back to my core issue with myself. Do I value myself? What do I deserve? What stories and narratives am I telling myself about the bullying and why I might endure it? The story might be, if it happened to a child, well, if I told mom and dad, they'll be angry at me because I didn't stand up for myself. Or the story might be, the word will get out and I'll feel embarrassed or ashamed. We make up stories. We have to penetrate the stories we tell ourselves and come to the authentic truth, which is, what's my fear? No, we are taught to act strong and to avoid vulnerability. That is a misunderstood, it's a misinformed belief. Acting strong is acting, it's weak. Embracing my vulnerability means that I'm sharing who I am, what my self-doubts and fears and insecurities are, and it means I'm not worried about you judging me. That is authentic self-esteem. Culturally, self-esteem is misunderstood. I call what we do other esteem. So you ask a parent, what will give your child good self-esteem? Well, if they're popular and they're great in sports and they get great grades, that doesn't give you self-esteem. So what we do is we betray our authentic sense of self to manipulate things so that others will like us or approve of us. But when we do that to an extreme, we don't develop a core sense of self. That will lead to allowing bullying. Well, I think you're absolutely right on with that. And, uh, you know, there's so many people that don't understand what you just explained. So thank you for doing that. And if you if you're a listener uh, just listening to us right now talking to Mel, this book, The Possibility Principle, is absolutely outstanding. It brings home this whole idea of how we can control the way we think. We can notice it. We can live and love, like he says in the subtitle, how quantum physics can improve the way you think, live, and love. And it's true that just from the very first page, it gives you almost like a new way of thinking about your own life. So, you know, get out there and get that book. Mel, I want to um, ask you some quick answer questions, just five quick answer questions. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has been a powerful influence in your life in the area of mindfulness? David Bohm. That's spelled B-O-H-M. Um, deceased. David was a quantum physicist who... Um, ultimately had to leave the United States because of the McCarthy era and his and Bohm's position in de defense of freedom of speech. So Bohm was a Nobel laureate physicist, but he broke out of the camp of physics and did a lot of work on the nature of thought. He wrote a book with Krishnamurti, the Indian sage, about thought and mindfulness. And my coming to learn and appreciate Bohm's work on thought, what he called fragmented thought, 
um, allowed me to develop a platform from which I could then elaborate and add my work on top of his and develop my own style. So David Bohm comes to mind as a very singular person. Mel, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? I believe, Bruce, that mind or a thought, thought in emotion, thought and feeling are inextricably linked. My bias is that thought probably occurs first, although we may not see it or be aware of it. So I have learned that when I am in a particular mood, whether elevated or deflated, if I check in as to what was the last thought I had, I can find the thought that set up the feeling. Now, the thing is, once you have the feeling, that feeling then will summon up more similar thoughts, which is why we tend to cycle up or down. Um, but there are different words and labels that we put to describe human experience. So we think of thought being from the neck up. I can't say it resides there. And we think of feeling as being in the gut and who knows. But what we call thought and feeling are different aspects of the same whole. Think about a coin. The head and tail aren't separate. They're different aspects of the coin. Thought and feeling, I see, is different aspects of human consciousness. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. It is not sufficiently part of my mindful practices. It's something I need to work on. I, um, I tend to reside in my spirit and in my mind. And my work, Bruce, is to develop more awareness in my body and to be more conscious and mindful of my breathing. So to the point of embracing vulnerability and sharing your truth, that's work I still need to do. Well, thanks for sharing that. And uh, your book, The Possibility Principle, is awesome. But are there any other books you would recommend related to mindfulness? Well, my reading and my interest um, runs far afield from psychotherapy, psychology, or mindfulness. Uh, what excites my learning is when I go into different disciplines um, and then I combine thoughts from those different disciplines. So philosophy. I don't read traditional philosophy, but Alfred North Whitehead, great British philosopher, had a great influence on me. And now there's a philosophy coming out of France over the last 20 years called transdisciplinarity, whereby it goes beyond interdisciplinarity, where we take different fields, different areas of inquiry, and we coalesce them. So there's no separation between them. And that's what I do. So I would read Alfred North Whitehead, the philosopher, 19th century, I believe. I'd read quantum physics. I'd read David Bohm. And I say, wow, so this is so, and this person said this. Now what happens if I put them together like an alchemy? And that's what excites me. I will share with you what may be my next book, and it came to me in the dream. Oh, I'd love to hear this. I woke up the other evening and with two words on my mind, quantum dialogue. And I was two in the morning. On a weekday night, I was so excited I went downstairs and started to take notes. And my thought was, what happens if I take 
the art of dialogue, which is misunderstood. Dialogue is not conversation. It's the spending of thought and belief in a shared inquiry. Um, to use a 60s expression, it's a very trippy experience, mm-hmm. altered state of mind. What happens if I infuse these quantum principles into dialogue? And I was so excited that I thought maybe this will be my next book. So um, I don't read traditional writing. I don't read in the fields I practice. I read far afield because that's what stimulates my thinking. Yeah, fascinating. Just fascinating. Can you share an app which helps you in any way with mindfulness? Certainly. (laughs) This answer may surprise you, but Spotify, um, when I can... When I need a break from thinking, not from thought, but from thinking, when I need a break from the things that impact me and don't allow my center, um, I'll turn on Spotify and listen to music, which will still me and quiet me. Ah, that's great. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you if you meditate. Is that part of your life? And if it is, what does it look like? I recommend meditation to many of my clients um, and I share with them that I do not meditate. Uh, I believe that the method I have developed for myself is akin to meditation in that I see my thought and I don't become my thought, but I don't need to go off for 10 or 20 minutes and treat it as a practice it's more of a working practice, a living practice. So it can occur while I am doing other things. It is not as centered and as focused as meditation. That said, um, I see the wonderful benefits to meditation anecdotally from so many people. And I often um, recommend to my clients that they pursue TM simply based upon the accolades I've heard from people who practice TM. Right. So it sounds like you might do your form of meditation while you're driving or waiting in line at the bank or anything like that. Am I right? I, yeah, I, I think that perhaps a significant amount of time I am in my meditate. I experience my meditative state, which is the awareness of my thought and the awareness of my feelings, which then allow me to not be reactive but responsive. And it's a key to artful communication, to respond rather than react. Mel, I feel honored to have the chance to talk with you. I've totally enjoyed it today. And listeners, you can get the book, The Possibility Principle, on Amazon. And if you want to connect more with Mel and learn more about what he's doing, what he's up to, where is the best way for us to head, Mel? It would be to go to my website. That's M-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z dot com. I have a blog with over 100 articles. You can see my uh, TEDx videos on overcoming anxiety. Um, And you can reach out and contact me. But there is a, a wealth of data on that website. Well, there sure is. And the TEDx talks are fantastic as well. I've enjoyed them. And, uh, you know, I've been anticipating this day for quite a while because we had it scheduled earlier and that didn't happen. But it did happen today. And I'm so honored and thrilled. So thanks very much for being on Mindfulness Mode, Mel. 
Thank you so much for having me, Bruce, and my compliments to you. You're a wonderful interviewer. Thanks so much. All the best to you, and bye now. Bye, Bruce. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show about the 12 must-read mindfulness books. Any one of these books can definitely change your life just like they have for the featured guests I've had on my show. All of these books have been recommended. They're the 12 most recommended books on Mindfulness Mode. Download this free gift at mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.